That Force Radio. That Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wint. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio, the Batman and DC podcast with no limits. At this week's roundtable, we have Bat Force Tom in California. What's up, everybody? And I'm Robin Cross in Canada. Uh, we are continuing uh, this week with uh, breaking up our recent streak of story reviews, getting back to another creator interview. And tonight's guest is an award-winning and New York Times best-selling author and has written for DC Comics on titles like Wonder Woman, Justice League, and Superhero Girls, as well as numerous anthology issues, in addition to being a writer of children's animated films and television like DC Superhero Girls, Doc McStuffins, and Polly Pocket, and loads of other work. Uh, just before the world was put on pause a few months ago, uh, DC released her book Batman Overdrive. With art by Marcelo Di Chiara and Hilary Sycamore, Overdrive is aimed at a younger reader audience and depicts a pre-Batman Bruce Wayne uh, building the first Batmobile. So, Joining us tonight to explain just who she thinks she is to be taking over the history of the first Batmo <laughs> Batmobile, her name is Shay Fontana. Thanks so Hello, much for Hello, thank you here. for having me. That's, this sounds really fun. I didn't know I was going to be defending myself, but now I'm ready. <laughs> well, I, I hope you're ready to put up a big defense. No, not really. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you had uh, this most recent book came out just before everything went crazy, but you have uh, a long history. Like, uh, I had to... Like, over the last couple months, I've been going back through more issues and realizing that I, I had read more and more that, that you've written uh, through through the DC time. But, uh, yeah, you like I mentioned in the intro, you've been working uh, television, uh, I think even uh, some, some film writing as well. Uh, would you mind taking us through, like, where did all of this start? What was your first uh, inspiration that made you want to get into writing and creating? Oh, goodness. Uh, I don't remember because I was so young. I, I've wanted to be a writer ever since I can really remember. And I was the kid in, you know, grade school that was, well, everybody else was, you know, coming in with stories about the, the cat and the dog being friends or whatever. I had like 15 page typed, uh, you know, manuscripts of all these ideas I had. So I, you know, from a very young age, I really loved that side of creating. Um, I was definitely a reader pretty early on. And so I think I took a lot of those things I was picking up for my reading and then trying to rec recreate them. Like, you know, I was basically doing fan fiction before 
fan fiction was a was a term that I knew. So I would read the, you know, Little House on the Prairie or even like the American Girls books. And then I would start writing my own stories. So from there, um, I grew up in a very, very small town. So we didn't have a comic book store or anything like that. But I did get into comics from the TV side. So of course, um, as I'm sure you've heard on this podcast before, Batman the Animated Series was my real entryway into the comics world, um, which, of course, will later bring me to Batman Overdrive. But um, yeah, so I wanted to be a writer very early on. Um, in college, I really realized that uh, animation was where my sensibility was at and more in the kids' TV and children's uh you know, middle grade sort of writing style. And I, because I'm a fairly silly person, I don't take, you know, things too seriously. Um, I'm not the kind of person who's going to be writing some big literary uh, tome, but I really like that sort of silly, fun side of writing. And, you know, the, like the escapism and the the ability to put a smile on someone's face is really important to me. So out of college, after studying writing there, I got an assistant job at an animation company and it all went off from there. So from that, I was able to start writing some animation. And from the animation side, again, like getting into comics was how I got into the comic writing side. So I was doing the DC Superhero Girls animated. Um, I had worked on like the brand Bible and the brand overview and all of the shorts that we had done early on. We did about, I think, 90 of those three minute shorts um, and a couple movies. And they had asked me if I would be interested in writing a graphic novel based on the DC Superhero Girls. And I was so excited to do that and so thrilled and had no idea how to do that. That was not a side of writing I had really looked into before. Um, but the people at DC were amazing. Uh, Mike Carlin, especially Marie Javins, who edited the original DC Superhero Girls, were just so great about getting me up to speed on how comics were formatted and how you write them. And then letting me, you know, really take my vision into those books. Well, so you had already sort of uh, uh, arrived onto the scene before you had uh, any comics writing experience. So you just had to learn on the go. Yeah, so it was different than most people. It's a very odd career path into comics um, because, you know, most people do start from doing the indie side and doing their own sort of comics and building their way up through the web comics world and all that stuff. And I just got thrown into the licensing world from the animation world. So I had no prior comics writing experience. I had never thought about writing comics. Um, but I had, I loved comics and it was a really exciting opportunity for me to jump in there with those characters. It, it's an interesting thing about the industry is that there are so many different ways that people get in. Uh, a question that I get from people a lot, just, you know, people who listen to the show, uh, ask me, Hey, you, you talk to a lot of creators. How, how do I get into the, into the comic business? You know, I, I want to be, I want to write comics or I want to draw comics. Like how, how do people get in? And I, there's no one answer you can give them. Like people get in so many different ways. You have the guys that, yeah, they spend years going to cons and submitting portfolios or, you know, mailing in uh, their artwork or mailing in examples of their writing and getting years of rejection letters. But then you have those other people who, you know, get 
discovered by something else they wrote on and are invited in or someone who like you said you you made your path uh, with with other writing and and got in there so yeah, it's a, you you really can't tell anyone oh this is how you do it you just have to the, the best way is really just start creating if if you want to make comics create whatever you can create and see if it can take you to that yeah absolutely so uh so we we get to that point you're now writing uh superhero girls and uh at what point do they start uh, asking you to start taking on things like Wonder Woman and Justice League? And uh, yeah, you you also wrote like you did the uh, Catwoman uh, Looney Tunes crossover and you know, just mm-hmm. all these things that you started popping up in. Uh, at what point uh, in doing Supergirl, Superhero Girls did they say, hey, how about writing some of this other stuff? Uh, that's a good question. Let me think about the timeline there. I had probably written four of the DC superhero girls graphic novels um, when they had reached out to me about doing that Justice League issue. And that went well. And after that, they had, you know, uh, wanted to see if I was interested in Wonder Woman. And of course, I was, Um, you know, obviously, I was a big Wonder Woman fan growing up. And it was really exciting to, you know, be a part of the official Wonder Woman legacy after, you know, while DC Superhero Girls was super fun, and I got to do so much with the teenage version of Wonder Woman, it was really special to be able to work in the you know, the canon universe of Wonder Woman as well. So that's, those were kind of things that I just was then on DC's radar. So when things popped up, they had started reaching out to me. I think one of my favorite things that I did um, was the Deathstroke, um, the anthology for the summer anthology. So it's just a little, you know, an eight page story, but it's so out of what I normally do. And it was so more, much more like adult focused and dark than anything else I had done. So that was a really fun way to stretch my writing muscles. Do you have one that now that you have been able to segue so much from the material that's directed at a younger audience and stepped more into the as you mentioned the canon uh, kind of area do you have one that you feel you prefer doing or that you feel comes more naturally to you oh absolutely more the middle grade and kids stuff is what really comes naturally to me i i think that's just where this kind of imaginative space that my brain lives in i do like you know stepping out of that sometimes and writing more adult stuff but uh, really, that's where my tone sensibility is in that middle grade space. Um, but it is interesting because, as any writer for kids stuff will tell you, is you tend to get pigeonholed there. So I'm really lucky that I have been given these opportunities to go into a more adult skewing space because it turns out I am an adult and I know <laughs> how, <laughs> how to communicate with adults as well. So it's a funny thing about writing you know, animation and more for kids is that people kind of start to think of you almost as like not appreciating or not understanding, you know, more adult stuff. And you're like, no, no, I'm, I'm a human being. I can just also talk on this other level. And uh, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, one of your early interests being Batman, the animated series. And I think all of us on our end can, can say the same thing. And it's crazy that this 
series that was around so long ago, you know, relative to, to our ages, um, is turns out to be this thing that we're directly involved with, you know, years later in our lives. You know, it, it still forms so much of what we do with our lives. Uh, we, yeah, we got to have, it is uh, interesting Paul... how many other car- uh, creators I talk to and, you know, all the panels I've been on at Comic-Cons. And Batman, the animated series, probably comes up 85% of the time. It's amazing. We got to have Paul Dini on the show a while back. Uh, and it, it's it's funny to hear how much even he is is still a fan of the series. You know, like when, when we talked about specific scenes, like uh, I think I brought up um, the On Leather Wings episode where Man Bat is flying with Batman hanging from his back. And uh, he mm-hmm. he just you know lit up talking about that part. You know he's he's still such a fan of of what they were making at that time, and it's uh, interesting in that it was such obviously it was a it was a series made for children, but so many people who are you know adults and now you know creating things that they grew up on that show and are now creating things based on it. The the Sean Murphy uh, Batman universe in the comics, you know, the the White Knight stuff. I don't know if you've read any of that, but it is really built on the skeleton of the animated series universe, but with a more adult uh, skew and you know the just the subject matter and the texture. You know, it gets political and historical, but uh, it's it's really based on that universe. Mm-hmm. So it, it yeah, you know, just a, a massive effect for for something like that, you know, just this cartoon that we watched. Hugely influential, you know, and obviously where we get Harley Quinn as well as like probably mm. the biggest character of the last thirty years to come out of the DC universe, and Absolutely. it all started with the animated series. And uh, I just lost my train of thought there. Where was I going to go? Oh yeah, um, yeah, you you brought up Harley Quinn. She's someone that. Already, you've written a lot of. I think we're having yes, a yes. Funny so connection. with DC superhero girls. I got to write a lot of Harley, and she was absolutely my favorite character to write because she does have such a unique voice and a unique personality. Um, yeah, she's she's really the best, and that that all goes back to Batman the animated series and you know, this kind of genius idea that they had to make this character who's so wacky and so out of the common mold for sort of femme fatale sort of character that you usually see around Batman. And she was the opposite of all that. And it's one thing for someone who grows up uh, watching the animated series and being so inspired by that to to get the opportunity just to, to write the character in comics. But you incorporated her into Overdrive, so you were writing your own original story with these characters and, and got to incorporate her in there. Uh, and you also got to do something that not everyone gets to do. You created your own character uh, into the Batman mythos. Yes. Uh, so in Batman Overdrive, uh, as you said, I got to use some of the the classic characters from the Batman universe. So we had a sort of little girl gang who's around Batman all the time and Bruce Wayne. And so it's uh, Harley and Poison Ivy and Lady Shiva and Catwoman, of course. Um, And then I did get to create this new character of Mateo Diaz, who is 
just such a joy to be able to work on. And our artists just brought so much warmth and friendliness to Mateo. So I, that's really what we were looking for in the character is someone who could, who is just so nice and so friendly and so obviously the best friend in the world for Bruce that he would be the one person that Bruce couldn't totally block out as in his lonerhood. Um, so yeah, creating Mateo was a, a huge joy for me. So where did the story of Overdrive come from? Was this uh, something you pitched to, to DC that you wanted to do? Yes. So this all started, oh, it was probably three years ago when they decided to launch the, the Zoom and Ink uh, labels and they were looking for more middle grade stuff. Um, and because of my history with DC Superhero Girls, they reached out to me and was like, is there a character that you want to do? And they had a list of a couple that, you know, had already been taken by other pitches and other uh, creative teams. And I said immediately Batman because uh, he was my favorite character. Absolutely top fan, you know, growing up. And he was the one character that I really wanted to write that I didn't have the opportunity to write in DC Superhero Girls. Um, so pretty quickly after I decided on Batman, I came to the idea of the Batmobile because thinking in the sort of the middle grade reader space, you usually age up the characters a bit from where your readers are. So I was thinking of a Bruce Wayne who is, you know, 15, 16 years old and for me, the most important thing, the, my, my daydream every day uh, as a 15-year-old was, you know, being able to get a car and being able to drive. And of course, the Batmobile is such a huge part of Batman's mythology. I really thought it would be interesting to sort of dive into what the actual origin story of the Batmobile was, which you guys probably could know more about this than I do, but I don't think that's been done in any of the other Batman origin stories that I've seen. It's kind of the Batmobile, you know, it ends up being there, but it's not really an origin story of the Batmobile. So I wanted to kind of tackle it from that angle and think about how the Batmobile or the car that was going to become the Batmobile connected to Bruce and how it connected to his story of his deciding to want to become this vigilante. Yeah, it, it was very cool that you gave it this, uh, you know, the the car itself, this lineage and this link back to his family. And uh, it had that, uh, that, that important place uh, in his heart. Uh, so I, I mentioned in the intro that the story was you know, this, the story of, Bruce creating the first Batmobile, but it is really about more than that. Uh, so for anyone who hasn't read it yet, how uh, how would you best sum up uh, the, the heart of this story? So this story, it's about Bruce. He's one month out from his 16th birthday, and he's really, you know, he is struggling a lot in his life. He's really become a loner who's shut out all the Kind of important relationships in his life after the death of his parents. And because he wants this freedom that a car will bring, that will mean that Alfred doesn't have to chauffeur him around anymore. Um, he starts looking into his dad's past and he finds that his dad had this pretty cool muscle car when he was 16 year old, years old. 
and he wants to restore that car. But when he goes to find it in the Wayne's car collection, because of course the Waynes have a pretty massive car collection, um, he finds that this one car that he wanted was actually wrecked by Thomas Wayne. And now it's his kind of mission in life. His The one thing that he wants is to restore that car to its original condition. So it was just like his dad had it when his dad was 16. But through that process and through trying to reconnect with his dad through this car, he actually comes to meet Mateo Diaz, who is this sort of car whiz, incredible mechanic who wants to do all these modifications. And through that relationship, he starts to open up himself a bit more to the outside world and then decides to not just, you know, see this car as his legacy and want to make it exactly like his dad had it, but to really see the car as a way into his destiny as Batman and as this crime fighter in Gotham City. And uh, it it was uh, nicely done and clearly the story was written by someone who did have knowledge, you know, like this, this doesn't feel when you're reading the story, it doesn't feel like, oh, this is just someone uh, using these characters to you know, to to tell the story they wanted to tell the the story is full of uh history of you know the, the batman universe itself like you you got uh the the falcone family in there and you know references to even street names from gotham and you know just just things that are uh that are always there so it uh it feels very organically that you are someone who you know you belong here and uh, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing Oh, thank you. I think one of the really great things about DC is how uh, these characters can translate into different universes and different mediums, and but still retain who they are and the sense of place. I think Gotham is probably one of the cities uh, in pop culture that has the most distinctive sense of place, um, and you know, you know when you're in Gotham. Uh, so it's really fun to be able to take that idea and translate it into a, a story for a different audience or, you know, a different kind of story that you want to tell, but still have those touchstones that remain so true to the original mythology. And one thing that I found myself wondering uh, more and more as the story goes on and, you know, once you meet Mateo and he quickly becomes more and more a part of Bruce's life and a part of him, uh, not only a part of, you know, Bruce Wayne, but also a part of the road to Batman and of, you know, a big part of the Batmobile being created itself. Uh, I found myself wondering, hmm, I wonder how long it takes for Matteo to show up in continuity. <laughs> I mean, I could wish that he shows up in continuity one day. <laughs> Maybe not until the kids who are reading it now are the ones writing the books. Oh, who knows? You know, with uh, with everything that they've had you write uh, already, you know, maybe uh, another one of the stories that you uh, that you get to do is is another Batman thing in continuity, and we could see him pop up. That yeah, would be a very would, cool thing. I would love to. That would be really fun. And uh, I I I know just from talking to other creators before that, you know, one of their favorite things is when they create a character in their book. The thing they love to see the most is when other creators use that character, you know, put put a, a spin on that character in in their own stories. 
Yeah, absolutely. I I haven't had that pleasure yet. Um, in DC Superhero Girls, we very specifically cast basically everyone in that universe as a existing character. Um, so I didn't get to create many characters there, but it was it was actually it was so fun to be able to really deep dive into the history of DC and some of the back catalog and find the right characters that would be right for every instance. And, you know, Mike Carlin, who uh, had worked on DC Superhero Girls and who has been at DC since like 1978 or something, some absurdly long amount of time was such a great resource for that. And I could email him and be like, you know, I want an alien character that has this power and this power. And then he would just send me a name right back. And then you know, I'd go to the DC library and be like, okay, give me some reference on this. And then, uh, so it's a really fun way to go about casting a series and kind of having that, um, you know, the, the band of players that you use and then putting them in there. But I would absolutely love to create more original characters and see those cross over into other stories as well. And someone who fits into the history of Bruce Wayne, you know, given uh, his his entrance into it in this story uh he he seems like he would fit into the main batman story you know in in a good way because it there aren't within the bat family itself there aren't a lot of minority characters so it feels like there's a lot of space for that yeah absolutely and i think that's something that as a collective comic book writers and creators that we need to continually be better at creating those uh, diverse characters and making sure that our worlds inside our comic books actually reflect the world outside the comic books. And uh, speaking of that, um, one of the things that I'd noticed uh, recently on your social media was, uh, you know, in the midst of, everything that's happening lately you know, the obviously the the protests and everything in the wake of uh the you know, horrible thing with george floyd and you know everything that continues happening uh but on your social media i've noticed that you've been a uh in the world of comic creators you've been a very welcomely positive and uh inspirational presence you know you used your your platform to to put out you know a positive message there and and be a positive part of that oh thank you yeah i really try to use my social media in that way and you know obviously while bringing light to injustices uh still you know trying to be see the positive side of things and you know keep that keep my social media pretty positive as i go into that side of the world because Twitter can be a very, very depressing place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I actually, I, I like very consciously have to limit my social media time uh, just to, for my own sanity. It, it's crazy. The difference we've, we've talked about this before with other people there, there is this stark contrast between the responses you will get on Instagram to the responses you'll get on Twitter. Like Twitter just somehow feels like a harsher place. Absolutely. And I feel very lucky that I haven't, I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I've been lucky in that among uh, female creators in the uh, comic universe, I haven't been targeted for a lot of those just terrible people who just, 
you know, rip apart a lot of my friends on Twitter. And even though you know that it's not a personal thing, you know, getting those sort of messages can, it will ruin your day. So, um, yeah, I feel very fortunate that that hasn't happened to me, but it can be such an awful place for so many people. Yeah, it's, uh, since you mentioned that, one of our friends who appears on the show here pretty often, I'm not even going to bring him up to just you know draw any more negativity his way, but he can't put anything on his Twitter, even if it's, you know, that he's uh, auctioning off, you know, this original art page and, you know, the the point of it is that you know the the proceeds 100 percent of the the proceeds will go towards you know uh whichever black lives matter charity and he can't even tweet something like that without hundreds of oh yeah you're just everyone's so <laughs> negative you can't do anything with just yeah. such a nasty response yeah it's it can be a pretty bad place so i think we I think as a society, we can do much better about that. Well, if, if any time is feeling like you know, we have to be, like it has to feel like at least a meaningful number of us are coming together and, you know, getting with the program and being on the same page and wanting things to be better. Uh, th- this feels like that time that, you know, a meaningful number of people are are leaning that way. Yeah, absolutely. And it really is. It can obviously be such a source of, you know, just bringing out the things that we need to know and, you know, a way to spread information. But also, you know, there's a, a good and a bad side. But I think it's just the more people understand how it works and understand that you do need to fact check things every once in a while. (laughs) I think that would all be for the better. For sure. And it's always nice that we do have these other worlds we can, uh, we can go live in for a time, you know, where we aren't dealing with uh, so many of the real world's problems. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, There's a, this is completely unrelated to anything whatsoever, but uh, I almost sent you a link earlier. This is something that, uh, Tom and I have both brought up on the show for various reasons before. You may have already seen it, but uh, I, that was why I didn't send the link, because I figured maybe you had. Uh, it was an episode of either Seth Meyers or Conan O'Brien that Bill Hader was on. And through whatever conversation they were having, he ended up speaking as his two-year-old daughter, but through the voice of Arnold Schwarzenegger. but it's this funny part and it makes me think of you now because you know he's he's being his his two-year-old daughter you know being adamant with him but speaking with arnold's voice and there's a part where he says i want to watch doc mcstuffins (laughs) (laughs) and it's just a really funny part I'll, i'll have to send that over so you can watch it but uh so we've covered what you've already uh what you've already given to to the comics world, to the DC world, the Batman mythos. What else may you have? Do you, is there anything else you have planned? It can be you know, not even if it's uh, something you can't talk about that's that is upcoming. But do you have more stories in mind that you would like to follow uh, Overdrive with? I mean, I would love to do more in this universe with Bruce and Mateo and Selena. Um, 
there isn't anything currently in the works, but I would definitely jump at the opportunity to do more of that. Uh, I have lots of things going on in the comics world that I can't talk about as, you know, as the general NDAs of this world. Um, but yeah, they, I have plenty more stories that will be coming at you soon. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, do you, is there anything else that we should know about yet or are we just, uh, waiting and seeing what uh, that's largely what everything is right now, because with everything being put on hold for, you know, two or three months, uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of room for news to come out, but, uh, is there anything that people should know whether it's comics or not, uh, what other work do you have well, let's coming? See. Um, you can watch Polly Pocket on Netflix. Uh, I have Batman Overdrive as well as the DC Women of Action, which is a nonfiction book about the female characters of the DC universe as, as well as some of the female creators uh, who've worked in DC for the last 80 years. Uh, that is available. That came out last October. And then there's eight DC superhero girls graphic novels and a couple anthologies and the Wonder Woman. Um, I believe it's Wonder Woman. Let me uh, look at what the number is here, if I could find it. It's the number five on the uh, trade paperbacks is my Wonder Woman arc. So uh, there's all of that available and a lot more animation stuff coming at you next year, but I can't say what it is yet. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, before I know we're coming close to the end of your allotted time here and uh, it's good that we've got Tom uh, back here with us now uh, before we let you go we would like to fire up something we call the lightning round so okay. the lightning round is just a series of goofy you know goofy questions just fire off the first thing that comes off the top of your head and uh, we'll uh, plow through a couple of those do you want to go first Tom? All right. Yeah, dude. Um, in and out or Shake Shack? In and out. I'm hell. I'm hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're off to a great start. Uh, well, th this would be a fun. Let's just throw it in anyway. We get uh, a uh, hilariously mixed bag of uh, responses on this one. How much can you deadlift? <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I can't give you an actual number but I'm sure it's not very many although I will say um, in high school I did do the weightlifting class instead of gym uh, so uh, I really there was a, a moment there where I could deadlift but I I have no idea. I can deadlift my dog now. That's about it. You probably can't do much, but your form must be amazing, is what that sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, sure you, would be, you would be only the second qualified person we've had on the show then. You know, it's, it's now you and Doug Mankey, who uh, is, is a lifter. <laughs> the only two took yeah, class. it was way better to do the weightlifting class than to have uh, dodgeballs thrown at me. So <laughs> I, I did that instead. My, I don't know if everyone's school had this or not, but uh, my school had uh, a pool. Oh, uh, so, you know, it was, yeah, it was an in-ground pool, you know, in, indoors in inside the school. You know, it was used for like swim meets and stuff like that. Our school always had a swim team. But uh, so there always came the part of the year where, uh, you know, we would do a week or two weeks, whatever, where gym class was, you know, a swimming course. And, you know, it was 
most of the days it was, you know, learning, you know, the teacher would show us uh, this technique and like, okay, this is how you do it. This is what you do and what you don't do. And then you practice it and, you know, then it comes to races and stuff to see how well, how well you're, uh, you're learning it. But occasionally we would get these days where he, I don't know if he just didn't have something prepared for that day that he wanted us to do, or he just wanted to kind of tune out, but it would be. You result in more or less a free swim, but because it was gym class and you know he wanted us to do something vigorous, it basically boiled down to a, a game of all right for the next 25 minutes, everyone try to drown each other. Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was just fight for your life and try not to die before the end of the period. Yeah, whoever stays alive nice. wins. Exactly. Lord of the Flies in the school. So what's your preferred swim stroke now? Or is that, do you feel like a very confident sh- swimmer after that? Uh, I'm an accomplished doggy paddler. There you go. <laughs> nice. Survival. I got another question. Um, aside from Bill Hader, what is the most surprising or craziest uh, person whose kids know your stuff? Oh, I'll say that Kevin Smith was always very, very complimentary on his podcast about DC superhero girls. I think when it first came out, he did like a 20 minute section on it. And that was the most thrilling thing in my life. That's awesome. Yeah, because he has a daughter. So it's a big deal. He has a daughter and he is like, he's so into that kind of material and being able to bring these characters to a new generation. So he was. He was like very effusive about it, and that really meant a lot to me. That's and a good point he, he, because he named you're his daughter like a, Harley Quinn. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point though. Like, I feel like we are such an amazing um, time for like, uh, like I don't want to say it this way for kids, but like almost like a gateway drug to like uh, bringing kids into into these characters and stuff. Where I mean, when we were kids, we had a couple of shows, but nothing like seriously aimed at us like they get now with multiple storylines multiple you know characters it's awesome like there's so many amazing books that you guys work on now that go directly to feeding the kids who my son the other day was like daddy um cyborg can do this and um raven blah 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 i'm like what (laughs) like just amazing (laughs) The, the knowledge he has of these characters now it's incredible. I've done so many comic cons and then had like a six-year-old girl come up to me and be like, but why didn't Supergirl <laughs> use her heat vision at this moment? And I'm like, because you should have written the story. I didn't even think about that. Like, that it's, it's pretty incredible with the yeah. kids. And especially at that age, they're so good at like retaining mythology information and being able to memorize the sort of stats of the characters. It's really incredible. That's and they have no awesome, filter, right? so they'll just step on your throat with a question yeah. that you're like, oh. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> you're like, well, I didn't think of that. That's, that was a better idea. Yeah. Now you got to be careful to like not break people's hearts with the decisions that these uh, characters make. <laughs> so yeah, why? absolutely. Little kids. Uh, okay, I'm going to throw another lightning round question. M&M's, plain, peanut, or peanut butter? Oh, peanut butter. Well, usually we don't ask that. That's like a... Yeah, I, 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 you know, it's usually not one of the options because I don't usually throw out the M M&M and M question. It's usually someone else. I include peanut butter because it's my favorite. Okay. Okay. Aside... Yeah, it's my favorite. It's not even like the 
peanut M&Ms are just the worst version of peanut butter M&Ms. Um, can we hang up now? <laughs> <laughs> um, I also I, enjoy I, an almond M&M if that's on the table. Oh, I don't think almonds, man. That's I feel like I haven't had that in forever. There's one that I can never find anymore. Uh, it, it was around for a very short window. It it must have been around when one of the Transformers movie movies came out because the M&M guys on the package had like Transformers cosplays on. But uh, I forget what it was called, like something like Raspberry Crunch or something, but it tasted like a peanut butter and jam sandwich. Mm-hmm. And okay. that, that, that was the best M&M I've ever had, but very I just didn't find them anymore. <laughs> I'm not totally sold on it, but I'll, I'll let you have it. Uh, I got a good one. Um, or I had a good one. God, now we got on the M&M talk. Now I'm distracted. Um, oh, my God. It was so good. Now I'm forgetting it. What was it? I'm getting the chocolate. Oh, I, it is a good one. Okay. I got it. Okay. Um, friends or Seinfeld? Friends. See? Um, there you go. Tell a lot about someone's personality. I'm not saying it's the better show, but it's the one I'm more likely to stop and watch. Well, you are saying it's a better show. So how dare you? <laughs> but... No, it's it's funny because um, that's like, uh, oh, you know what? I'll throw it even further back. I'll just ask in general. Do you have a favorite sitcom? Frasier. Oh, oh my. I was about to ask like something or Cheers. Do you prefer you know, Frasier? I never, over... never watched Cheers, though. If, so okay. I've only seen the, the Frasier version of Frasier. And I loved it because it's such a silly comedy of errors in every single episode, like the way they heighten the comedy, like, and everybody's just making the worst decisions. Oh, yeah. It's it's pretty funny. We're all just (laughs) so neurotic. Everyone's so neurotic. And they're they're so highbrow, but you have these very not highbrow things happening to them. Exactly. Well, Cheers is really good, but I mean... Yeah, he's uh, Frazier's on it, and he's totally Frazier on the show. But um, you know, he went crazy on his own show, and he, they just show like the depths of his of his like mind and stuff. It's great. But yeah, I, I mean, if you like Frazier, you like Cheers. So if you got time to kill and you want to binge a show, here you go. Yeah, I'll have to go back and watch Cheers one of these days. Who is your favorite X Men? Ooh, my favorite X Men. Mm. I mean, as a kid, I would say Storm. Um, yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> very nice. Okay, that's a good one. She's very powerful. Very <laughs> underrated, in my opinion. Um, um, since we were talking so much about your DC work, what DC character that you have not been able to write yet would one. you most like to write? That's... A very difficult question because I have gotten to write so many of them with DC Superhero Girls. Uh, I think we had 70 characters that was listed in the Bible. And then between the Justice League issue and Batman Overdrive, I really hit all the main ones. (laughs) Um, So... Yeah, I can't think of any that I haven't written that I would write more of. Um, Awesome. There's definitely, I mean, there were fun characters that we got to, you know, have briefly in DC Superhero Girls that I would like to do more of. Like Lobo was just such a, he's a hilarious character to write. 
and in that environment was even funnier. So right. <laughs> a character like that, I would have a lot of fun with. Uh, you, um, you mentioned uh, rating the show Bible, and that was something that I forgot I wanted to bring up. Uh, it wasn't until sometime recently that I was aware of this concept that there was a show Bible for, for every series. What is it like creating that? Like, how, how big of a process is that? Is it something that you just continue adding to as you go through your writing? Or like, I couldn't even fathom where to start with it. Yeah, it's a living document. So as scripts are done, you keep updating it throughout. But it really is on most series. It's where you start even before the pilot episode. And it's just, you know, establishing the characters, uh, their personalities, you know, any strengths and weaknesses, that kind of stuff, as well as locations, um, tone of the show, all that stuff goes into a show Bible. And it depends kind of on the breadth of the series to how long that show Bible is. Um, I would say an average, like what you would go in for a pitch for a series is probably about 15 pages long. But by the time you finish with a series, it will be much, much longer because you are just constantly adding to it, especially any series with any sort of mythology that the writers will need to, you know, look up and reference along the way. The show Bible is going to be pretty meaty by the end of it. Um, yeah, and that's really one of my favorite parts of writing because I love the, you know, in the way the blank canvas of you could make this show anything you want and you don't have to. I mean, you should you should certainly be worried about how the execution and the production is going to go on the ideas, but it's not as much about filtering that. So there's a lot of things that will come up with in you know, later on in scripts of like, oh, you can't do that because that's too many sets or we don't have the budget for all that. But in the show Bible, you know, everything's a go. There's um, some awesome photos of you online at Brave New World Comics uh, for a yeah. um, superhero girl signing. Um, and that is ran by Andy, who is an awesome manager. He used to manage uh, Collector's Paradise in Pasadena, which used to be my favorite shop when I lived by it. Is there any shop of near you that you'd like love or that you think is a great shop that people should check out? Well, Brave New World is my local comic book shop. Oh, so there it is. That's probably why you've seen so many pictures there. I think we've done uh, maybe three signings there. So, that's awesome. yeah, that's my local shop. And Andy is the best. He's really, you know, so enthusiastic about yeah. creating a community around comics. And he really knows that, you know, it's not when you are running a comic book shop, it's not just about getting the issues in or doing that kind of stuff. It's really about creating this community of people who love comics and bringing them together in this special place. And he's just so great at that. He, I mean, yeah, huge shout out to Andy and Brave New World because exactly what you said. I remember I, uh, when I moved out um, to Southern Pass or to, what is it, to South Pass, he was the manager at Collector's Paradise, like I said. And I mean, oh, man, I was spoiled so hard. I'm sure you're getting it now, but the the way he ran the shop, it, there's no other shops that have been run like that. And it's I'm literally depressed every time I go to the comic shop. And not that it's a bad one, but it's just like, man, I wish I, I wish he was still there. I wish I still lived by there. I wish that it was the same thing because it's not the same. It's just I mean, he, he ran an amazing shop and it was just like amazing. And you're very lucky to have him as your local shop. You know, I got to say that much. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, just looking at the clock, I see we 
are uh, coming towards uh, the end of your scheduled time, so uh, we don't want to keep you any longer and make you run behind, but I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be here and chat with us. Thank you so much. It was really fun. I was not expecting those lightning round questions, and now I have to go and reconsider all my answers. Yeah. I might have to ping you back later and be like, right. no, this is what I really meant. Uh, Shake Shack, you're right. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <finished>. no. <laughs> I, I don't want to hear that, but uh, you know, if you really feel like you have to, we'll have you back at some point, and we'll give you either the same or a different set of questions, and you can redeem yourself if you felt you didn't have a chance. And uh, next time Thank we'll... You. I appreciate uh, we'll... that. Next time we'll bring you into. Uh, we haven't been doing it lately, but we, we, we got to get this back up and running again. We usually have a tradition where we have the guest leave a question for the next guest, so it becomes this chain where you know one of the lightning round questions was given by the previous guest, and then that guest leaves one for the next person. So it's a it makes a a fun exchange. Yeah, I will. I'll start thinking of my question now. There you I'll go. be prepared. There you go. Uh, so, if you haven't read it yet, uh, Batman Overdrive, and really, you know, you can still look like a big man and admit that you, you know, tried watching Doc McStuffins. Just go check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Doc McStuffins is for everyone. Yeah, I, I've got the song stuck in my head right now. <laughs> But uh, thank you so much. That'll do it for this week. Shay Fontana, check out her work and watch for these mystery things that uh, she was not allowed to talk about coming up soon. Thank you guys so much. It was really fun. Thank you. Have a great night. Thanks so much for coming on.